This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything, nothing's off limits. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, because it's Wednesday, two things. Tonight, we've got a Bible study here uh, that I'll be doing from Genesis chapter 28. And I'll just kind of warn you in advance, this is a very personal Bible study for me. There's going to be a lot about my story. Somebody said, well, why would you do that? And, And the answer is because I am Jacob. I think most of us are. So tonight we begin one of the richest character studies in the entire Bible. And this is the character study of Jacob. Now, Jacob is one of the people, like Peter, that we can identify with. Peter's always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, and we think, well, finally, there's somebody like me. Well, Jacob's even more like us. A man who's tried to manipulate uh, his blessing. He's tried to manipulate his family. He's tried to manipulate God. Um, and he continues to do that. Well, tonight, Jacob gets, um, in a New Testament context, we'd say born again. And it doesn't change him completely. He's still got a lot of the old Jacob, the old con man in him, but um, he's on that process. I always say Genesis 28, when you get there, you're right next door to Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob finally surrenders his life to Jesus Christ. His heart gets surrendered tonight, but his will and his life won't be surrendered for a while. And because of that, he's just like so many of us. So that's what we're going to be doing tonight here at 7 o'clock at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, Let's get to some questions while we wait your phone calls. Now, I realize this is Christmas and people are busy. They're doing other things and we've got all of the COVID stuff going on as well. Uh, But um, just remember the program is a lot more interesting when you call. Uh, My first question is from Vince. He said, "Uh, Pastor Ron, our church doesn't seem to grow. Our pastor is solid, but people just don't come. Does this mean God is not blessing it? Vince, you know, one of the things, and you don't tell me where your church is, nor do I need to know, but generally speaking, there are 
pastors and there are cities where small churches are God's will. You know, this American concept of marketing, you know, if tons of people are coming, God is blessing. If we got lots of money in the bank, lots of people in the seats and God is blessing, that's nonsense. The busiest churches, the most crowded, those are churches uh, often that are teaching false doctrine or teaching what people want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And I've said this before in this program, Vince, but it's pretty easy to have a, a, a big church. All you got to do is say things that people will agree with. And the gospel, remember, is an offense. If your pastor's solid, bless God for him and pray for him. And um, if people aren't coming, then you pray that God will begin bringing people. Let me ask you a question, Vince. When you say your church doesn't seem to grow, are you individually out telling people about Jesus? Are you inviting people to church? You see, that's how churches should grow. Our church, and, and one of the things that's happened during the COVID quarantine mess from March all the way now, is unbelievers have stopped coming to church. Now, I understand the reasons why. But one of the things that's always happened in our church is people were always getting saved because there were always people from the church inviting others from work, in their families, from their neighborhoods, from their gyms, wherever it was. They were always inviting people to church. And then as the gospel goes forth, uh, people are getting saved. Well, now that doesn't happen so much, and it can be a little bit discouraging. So if you've got a good church where the pastor's solid, then be a blessing to him. And remember, you and you can tell the other people in your church, you can tell them that Jesus loves them. And you've got a pastor who tell them about Jesus and invite them to come to church. I think that's more important than they can communicate, Vince. That's the way churches grow. Not from taking people from other churches, not marketing, not any of that nonsense, but simply people in the pews, in the chairs, who are being exhorted daily from the pulpit to go out and win others to Christ, to share our faith, invite people to church. I think it's really important. One other comment I'll make on this, Vince, is our church here in uh, at, at Calvary Chapel, we, we've planted a whole bunch of churches, sent out a whole bunch of pastors over the years. And, you know, some of the best men that I've sent out are pastoring churches that aren't growing. And I think the idea here is it proves that God loves people in small places. God loves people in small churches. And he loves them so much that sometimes he'll send the best we've got. And, you know, there's been a lot of times when somebody comes in and say, Pastor, I feel like God is calling me to start a church. And usually we can see the evidence of that. But there are times when I just shake my head and think, no, I don't want to lose this one. He is so solid. He is so fruitful. And then the Lord reminds me, well, remember whose servant he is? Remember whose servant you are? And the truth is, he loves people who live in small places. Tomorrow night here at Calvary not tomorrow night, I'm sorry, I'm a day ahead of myself. On Friday night, uh, we have a young man who grew up in this church, got saved in this church, uh, when he was 16 years of age, and he grew up in this church, 
Uh, he became a pastor here. He was teaching our our Bible study classes at the academy and hermeneutics classes. A wonderful, wonderful young man. And he came to me one day and said, God put Alaska on his heart. And I thought, no, no, no. Don't you watch adventure shows? It's miserably cold in Alaska. And yet I knew from the beginning, as soon as he said it, that that was his calling. And he and his family have been there now for a little more than two years. Is that right? A little more than two years. And, um, um, you know, they're doing a great job. They're teaching people in Anchorage, Alaska about Jesus. Now, a church in Anchorage, Alaska is not going to be a big church. But I promise you God is blessing that church by sending them. And uh, that's uh, Pastor Samuel. He will actually be teaching here uh, on Friday night. While we've got him in town, I'm going to put him to work. And I am excited. So he will be here on Friday evening. We'd love to have you join us. Good question, Vince. Thank you very much. Uh, Timothy says, does 1 Corinthians 7.14 mean that people married to unbelievers will save them if they stay if they stay married? Um, no, not really. It says, uh, let me read the passage for you. Um, I'm going to go back one verse, to verse 13. It says, and if a woman is a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, uh, there were lots of questions from the church in Corinth uh, to the Apostle Paul. Things going on, and remember, these are carnal believers are relatively new. I mean, they've been saved for a while, but, um, you know, there are things that they're encountering. Just like when you got saved and you encountered difficult situations, you had no idea what to do. As an unbeliever, you, you knew um, how you would respond. As a believer, you knew you can't respond that way, but you didn't know what to do. Well, this is the case, and this was the question about all of the people that were getting saved and they found themselves married to an unbeliever. So what do we do? I want to worship Jesus. My husband doesn't want me to worship Jesus. Or my wife doesn't want me to worship Jesus. So what do I do? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul begins to answer those questions. So nobody is guaranteed being saved just because they're married to a believer. When it says that, that um, uh, the unbelieving wife or the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through their saved partner. Um, the, the word sanctification there doesn't mean saved. It's not justification. It just means that they're sort of set apart. They're set apart through prayer. Um, the assumption here is that the believing man or the believing woman is praying for their husband or for their wife. Um, and, and God is going to hear those prayers. That was exactly the case with me and as you've heard on this program many times, Paula prayed for me for 13 years. 13 years. And it was almost like God set me apart. And he did it by putting a bullseye, a Holy Spirit bullseye on me. And say, well, this woman is really going to pray for you. She's going to keep praying for you. And it was like God saying, okay, I got you. And he chased me down and he created circumstances in my life. It would be frustrating and end up in, in misery and pain. But he was always there. So I was set apart. There's another way that we're set apart, the unbelieving spouse. We watch the witness 
of the believing husband and wife. Um, we, we can see the power of God in our homes. And so that's really important because we can see that the power of Jesus is real. Again, that's one of the things that really worked for me. So it's important. Now, a couple of other things that aren't specifically to this one. It doesn't mean that they're going to get saved. It just means that, that God is going to sort of mark them out and do everything he can short of forcing them to believe. God never violates anybody's free will. But here's the idea. So you've got uh, an unsaved husband or unsaved wife and they're willing to live with you. You must not divorce them. And in that willing to live with her, um, you know, there's a there's a, a vivid word picture in Greek and it's it's willing to live with her in harmony. In other words, this isn't an unbeliever that can say, I refuse to let you go to church or I refuse to, to, to let you be a Christian. You can't do that. Willing to live is to live with as she is. And then don't divorce him, don't divorce her because you may end up being the one that God uses to save him or to save her. The only other thing I'll say to this, Timothy, is that we are told, not in this verse, but in, uh, in, in the same passage of Scripture, that if the unbeliever leaves, that we can let him leave. God wants us to live in peace. He wants us to live a life with our husband or with our wife that honors him. And so if the unbeliever leaves, then let him leave. It's very, very important. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585, Margaret says, do you think we have any real hope of revival? Margaret, all I can say is I truly hope so. That's all I can say. I truly hope so. Uh, if we do, um, it's going to come um, probably in a group where you don't expect it. Um, it's going to come um, like it did the last, let me just sort of remember what happened in the last real revival we had in this world that was in the, the 60s and early 70s. Uh, the Jesus Movement Revival. And the, the people that got saved are those who were the most hopeless. Uh, God saved a bunch of hippies who dropped out and ruined their brains on drugs and um, just completely gave themselves over to all kinds of wickedness and licentiousness and uh, sex, uh, if it feels good, do it kind of thing. That was the mantra. And, and I'm in that age group. Now, I didn't get saved then, but I'm in that age group. So, Margaret, it didn't look at all like there was going to be a revival then. But God does what he does when he wants to in the way he wants it and with whom he wants to do it. And he started touching these hippies' hearts. And the spirit began to move. Now, I believe, maybe I should say I hope and pray, that there will be one more move of God's Spirit before Jesus returns. I really hope and pray that that's the case. But i got to tell you, it looks pretty bleak, doesn't it, Margaret? And if you're looking at the world that we live in, 
And you see, especially the condition of the younger people in our culture, they're not thinking, um, they've been brainwashed, um, they're, they're far and farther and farther away from God. And you just wonder, Lord, you got to do something. Well, a move of God's Spirit is the only thing that's going to help. So all I can do is say, Margaret, I, I hope and pray. I started to say earlier, I believe we will, but you know, really that's just an opinion based on my heart to get people saved. So I hope that's the case. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that if there is a revival, by the way, I get in trouble for saying this. When I say I get in trouble for saying this, people get angry. Christians, unfortunately, get angry when I say it. But if there is another move of God's Spirit, I honestly believe it will happen through the homosexual community. They are no more unlikely than hippies were in the 60s and early 70s. They're the ones that Christians point a finger at and judge. And when hippies started getting saved, there was no church for them to go to. It's one of the reasons God used Calvary Chapel, Pastor Chuck. Pretty soon it looked like Nothing but hippies. And that wasn't the case, but that's the way it looked. I remember a story that Pastor Chuck used to tell. Pastor Chuck Smith is the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel and, and was my pastor until he went to be with Jesus. He used to tell a story at the pastor's conferences about um, the interference he got from his elders at his church when he came to Calvary Chapel. When the hippies would start coming in and they're barefoot, um, his elders said, well, we can't let people in here with no shoes. I mean, they're going to ruin our carpets. And Pastor Chuck said, well, if you're worried about the carpet, they said, we are worried about the carpet. They just shouldn't be here with bare feet. And so the next day, Pastor Chuck had all the carpet torn out. So they had nothing to complain about. And they still came in barefoot and they still kept getting saved. And then, of course, the, the momentum of the Holy Spirit was phenomenal. And, and hundreds turned into thousands, turned into tens of thousands. And that's just the way God moves with his spirit. So, so Margaret, let's you and I agree together to pray that there will be one last huge move of God's spirit before Jesus returns. And as you probably know, if you've been listening to this program, Margaret, I believe Jesus is ready to come at any moment. So that, that move of God's spirit needs to happen now. Here's a question from Marilyn. Why didn't God stop Jephthah from killing his daughter in Judges 11? Marilyn, I don't think Jephthah killed his daughter. He sacrificed her. He made a foolish vow. Uh, remember the whole theme of the book of Judges, that men did what seemed right in their own eyes or in their own minds. And Jephthah did what everybody else was doing. He was just making a foolish vow. He didn't have to make a vow. God had already promised him victory. And Jephthah said, if you give me victory, Lord, I'll sacrifice the first thing I see when I return. And the first thing that he saw was his daughter. But but the, I think it's pretty clear. People don't always agree. But, but I think it was really clear that what she sacrificed was her future as a wife and mother. Remember, she went out with her friends before the, the, the sacrifice. She went out with her friends and they mourned that she would never be a mother. Every Jewish 
girl, whatever Jewish woman, wanted to be a mother, wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. And, and not having children was considered a, a, a curse. And what she did, again, he didn't kill her, but he, he just, her life now was completely committed to, to God. And that means that she was alone. And I'm sure lonely. Um, she recognized how important it was for her father to, to keep his vow. So she did it. So what was sacrificed wasn't her life, but her life sort of spiritually, um, her hopes and dreams of being a wife or a mother, all of that was lost um, based on that foolish vow. But, but, but he didn't kill her. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% certain of that. Stanley, I guess he has been here and doesn't like it. He said, um, you say you are charismatic, but when do you allow speaking in tongues or prophesying in church services? Um, Stanley, we're, we are charismatic. The definition of being charismatic is that you believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. But, and this is important, we have to use the gifts of the Spirit consistently with the instructions given to us for the use of those gifts. And to go into a church where everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time or people are prophesying, um, um, uh, thus saith the Lord kind of things, um, that's not allowed. There are no prophets, first of all. And speaking in tongues, we're told um, in 1 Corinthians, is a vertical gift. It's between the man and God or the woman and God. And it isn't to be out there for everybody else. Now, to answer your question, we have a tight schedule. I think most churches do on Sunday. We have three Sunday morning services, and um, um, we're always up against the clock to get somebody, um, to get people in and out, to get kids in and out of the, the children's church as well. And um, I had a guy say, well, well, if Jesus told you to do it, would you do it? And I said, no, he wouldn't tell me to do that. He wouldn't violate his word. And, and the guy left angry at me. Um, so Stanley, I'm assuming you're not that guy, but remember, speaking in tongues is not supposed to be done in the at-large church service unless there's an interpretation and then only two or three at the most in turn rather than everybody doing it at once. So yes, we are charismatic. We believe in the gifts. Now one other thought here, Stanley, as we come to the end of the first half hour of the program. Uh, we do have um, Friday night services occasionally. Normally we do uh, Friday night services uh, when we finish a book the following Friday. Uh, on Friday, we, we do a different study than on Sunday. And when we finish that uh, that book, the next Friday before going into a new book will be what we call an afterglow service. An afterglow service is where the gifts of the Spirit can function, where there are exhortations, where there are encouragements, where... Uh, there are words of wisdom and words of knowledge, and sometimes, not often, but sometimes, there are people who speak in tongues. When that happens, uh, we'll stop, wait for interpretation, because Paul says if there's no interpretation, then there can be no more words entertained in tongues. So we do that on that Friday night, and that's an opportunity for the gifts of the Spirit to flow. So we, we actually use them decently and in order, that's the, the overall groundwork that's been laid for us. Um, but um, to go into a church, Stanley, where people are speaking in tongues all at the same time, 
is to go to a church that is completely out of order, and that is not the Holy Spirit at all, not not even a little bit. So um, I hope in that that satisfies you, Stanley. Read 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 because that is the most extensive treatment of how to use the gifts of the Spirit in the corporate church setting. So I hope that's enough. Okay, we are almost at the end of this. Um, trying to find a question I can do very quickly. Um, boy, these aren't quick questions. Here's one from Mary. She says, walking by faith is really hard. How can it be made easier? Mary, it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. The way you make it a little bit easier is to trust Jesus walking by faith now. And you're going to see his hand move. So the next time he's asking you to do something that, that, that's hard or something that doesn't make a lot of sense to you, well, that's when you say, well, look, he's come through every time, so I've got to trust him this time. But, but our faith grows by being obedient. When you walk in obedience, then what you see is the hand of God moving in your life, and it really gets to the place. I mean, really and truly gets to the place where you get excited. I don't want to miss out on anything. Yes, the Lord, if you tell me to do it, I don't see how you're going to do it, but I'm going to do it. But remember, Mary, I'm sorry, and let me apologize. This is Marv, not Mary. I don't see well. Um, walking by faith is supposed to be hard. Sorry for messing up your name, Marv. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Natalie, and she asks, How is it possible not to worry and then she says, honestly, worry is consuming me. Um, Natalie, not worrying uh, requires two things. One, it requires faith. I'm not talking about saving faith, but it requires faith. Um, and then it requires commitment, a decision. You just got to make a decision. I'm not going to let those things bother me. Now, Jesus obviously spoke a lot about not worrying. Paul talks about not being anxious for anything. But when you give in to worry, you're making the choice to worry. Remember, all of that comes from an outside source. That outside source wants to destroy you, the enemy. When we give ourselves over to his lies, then remember, his goal is to consume you. He doesn't want you serving God. He doesn't want you walking by faith. So it requires faith in God and a commitment to to let Jesus carry the things that you're worrying about. Now, I don't want to go blow by this question quickly. We have so many things to worry about. The, the pandemic, the 24-hour news cycle, constantly trying to make people afraid. You've got to limit what's coming in. Spend more time in the Word of God 
than you do with the outside sources of this world because you've got to be able to fight the things that they're trying to make you worry about. So you've got to choose to do that. You've got to just say, Jesus, I'm scared. I'm worried. You tell me not to worry. I don't know how to do this. So Jesus, I'm giving you these things that I'm worried about. And when you do that, try not to pick them back up. The problem with worry is it's consuming you madly. Is that it will be relentless until you fight back. And you got to fight back. If you're not in the Word, if you're not in prayer, if you're not talking with Jesus, and I'm just talking about being with Jesus all the time. you got to remember, whenever that the worry starts coming, you can say, Jesus, you're right here. You carry this for me. And you then focus on being with Him, talking to Him and hearing from Him. Focus on serving Him. You, every time you get worried, you open your Bible or you start talking with the Lord. The enemy's going to stop bringing the worry things to you. So this is faith. Do you really trust God? I know you trust God to, to, to save you. You're listening to a Christian radio program. But do you trust God for the rest of Wednesday? Those are the decisions. You've got to think rationally that way. We are, many of us, professional warriors. And until you decide, I'm simply not going to let that steal my joy. I want to be with you in your presence. The Bible says there's fullness of joy. You're spending more time in the presence of the things you're worried about than you are in the presence of the Lord. So you've got to learn to control your feelings. Take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. But you simply got to decide that I'm going to trust Jesus and I'm going to do it every time. One other thing that I would think, Natalie, is really important. Only deal with the Lord on the things that are before you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week or next year. God gives you grace every day. I like to say that our grace saves, and that's a wonderful thing, but our grace also lives. So yeah, grace got me to heaven But grace also gets me through today. And I can trust God today. I don't have to give in to fear. I don't have to give in to worry. I can really trust God today. And the problem is we get so used to worrying. We get so used to the psychological response to all of that outside stimulus that we forget to fight. Remember always that we're fighting against spirits, principalities. We're under attack and we got to learn the right way to fight. Natalie, it's, a, I almost said an important battle to win, but, but it's, it's more important than that. It's essential that you learn how to fight differently. And we fight by the power of God's Spirit, by actively trusting Jesus. If the Jesus who saved you, you believed him then, do you believe that that Jesus will get you through the things that you're worried about today? Don't worry about tomorrow. Today is enough of its own. That came from Jesus He said himself. Do you really believe that he'll get you through today? One final thought. Natalie, I have always believed, and I just throw out my old dumb number. I don't know how, how accurate this is. But to me, it seems like 90% of the stuff that I've worried about since I got saved never happened. 
realize how much time we're wasting worrying about stuff that's never going to happen. Thank you for the question, Natalie. Let's go to San Marcos now. Talk with Horatio on line one. Horatio, thanks for holding her on the air. Two questions. First question, in heaven, will we speak Spanish or text specs? <laughs> second, question, second question is, that we're born with the spirit, soul, and body. So when we die, what goes to heaven, the soul or the, or the spirit? Okay. Thank you, Harish. I can answer that now. Thank you. I appreciate you, you being patient okay, with us. Thank you. Uh, Enjoy your program. Okay. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it very, very much. Um, Horatio, uh, I hope it's Spanish. <laughs> uh, I, I like the language. Um, it, it's so beautiful when it's, when it's done effectively. And no offense intended by anybody here, but Tex-Mex isn't nearly as attractive or beautiful as beautiful Spanish. So I, I hope the answer to that question is Spanish. I really think when we get to heaven, we won't even need to talk. I really believe that with all my heart. I, I think we'll be able to, to read each other's minds and we'll be complete unity. We'll know, like Jesus knew what his disciples were talking about, um, even when he didn't hear them with his ears, but, but he knew what they were talking about. So I think that's the case. Um, what goes to heaven is the spirit within us. Now, I think, I think we, we, we incorrectly use soul and spirit to, to denote different things. I think when, when the Bible's talking about soul and spirit, he, he, they're talking essentially about the same thing. The difference is we have a human spirit, and until the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, that, that's, that's our spirit or our soul. That's a, 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 a soul that doesn't go to heaven. When the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in us, then I think it refers to the same thing. So what happens when we die? These old bodies that we're in wear out. And when they wear out, the minute we're ready to go to heaven, then God sends an angel. He takes us out of this old tent of a body that we have and, and takes us into the presence of Jesus where instantly we receive our new glorified, resurrected physical body. So soul and spirit interchangeable. It's just when you love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's just saying with everything that you are. So I don't think there's a distinction to be made between spirit and soul. When you talk about things of the spirit versus soulish things, well, then that uh, denotes sort of a, a giving into the things of the flesh. Thank you for calling, Horatio. I appreciate it very much. Let's go to Walter calling on line two from San Antonio. Walter, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, how are you? Hi, Walter. I'm well. Uh, I was going to ask you if you could pray for me. Um, I found out um, that I have a disease I've had for 15 years, um, and uh, it's uh, mildew. It's uh, I found it in Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 28, and uh, it's fine. I've been trying to fight it for 15 years. It's finally winning over me and it's uh, affecting my whole body and I have, have heart blockage and all kinds of uh, uh, diseases that result from it and uh, just wondering if you would pray for uh, Jesus to heal me from this uh, mildew disease. Okay, I'll do that and uh, if you'll keep us posted, uh, I would appreciate it very, very much, Walter. Let me, let me pray. Jesus, um, one of your own has asked for help. 
and he's solicited prayer so people in this radio audience lord can can uh, bombard your throne with prayers on walter's behalf whatever the disease is whatever the illness would you strengthen his body fill him overflowing with your spirit and touch and heal lord and i pray that walter when you've touched him physically lord will use his new body his new strength the wellness that you provide to serve you with every ounce of strength that he has. Bless him, Lord, and heal him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You too, Walter. Thank you very, very much. Keep us posted how you're doing. Uh, Here's a question from our email inbox. This one is from James. And he says he's listening from Honduras at the moment. Praise the Lord. Uh, He says, I'm from Belmont, Texas, on the other side of Seguin. Um, he says, my question is Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18, where it says, in the last days, and in 2, 18, in those days, what are the days it speaks to have the wonders in heaven? Hold on a second. My picture, my screen got covered. Um, have the wonders in heaven and earth occurred? Um, James, this, this particular question, let me get to the passage of Scripture. Um, you remember what happened here is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out and now um, people are speaking in unknown languages. Um, There is obviously something physically happening and the skeptics, the people watching, remember 3,000 of these people are going to get saved so there's a whole bunch of more people who who are just watching and saying, this is crazy, what are these guys doing? And in fact... They accuse him of being drunk. And Peter says, no, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Who would be drunk at nine o'clock? And then he explains it. He says this, what they're seeing, this outpouring of the Spirit, is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, which, by the way, would have been a radical thing, a radical thing for uh, Jews. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So the days that are being spoken of are the last days. Uh, Certainly when Joel made that prophecy, we weren't in the last days. The last days, um, uh, James began with the uh, ascension, of, of Christ to heaven. Um, and that means that we're right in the middle of the last days right now. Hopefully we're toward the end of the last days, the very last of the last days. But that's what Joel is, is, was prophesying. Jews wouldn't have understood it that way. Remember, his audience was, was completely Jewish. And yet now when they see this miraculous outpouring of God's spirit, uh, he says, no, this is what Joel was talking about. And so in those days, the last days, um, and, and he's already poured out his spirit uh, in those days. We are living in them. So that's what's meant there. Um, James, thank you very, very much for the question. Let's go to Reuben on line one from Seguin. Reuben, good to hear from you. How are you doing? I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Highly favored from the Lord. Dad is doing <laughs> well. And uh, really quick before I get to my questions, I want to thank you, your wife, and all of your congregation. Um, 
I could not have gotten through this season of trials and tribulations without the prayers. I could not have done it. <laughs> thank you. And I'm Robert. just, you know, I just, I thank you guys. Cause you've all, you've been there for me for the past seven years. So especially <laughs> I want to thank you for the past seven years, people who don't, who are listening. I've known my pastor Ron for nine years. I mean, uh, seven years, uh, not personally, just through the, through the radio. And this man is spot on. Oh, I forgot. That's disrespectful. Pastor Ron is <laughs> spot on. When <laughs> I just I have to be respectful. I, I, Ruben, I don't when, be when you're and, when you're saying nice things, you're always respectful. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, but just for the people listening, he is spot on. He is spot on, and uh, uh, you may not like it, but he is spot on. He is spot on in what he says <laughs> and how he uh, how he helps you. Like, for instance, he's going to help me today understand what I have uh, questions about. Okay, um, I read the Minor Prophets, the last, what are they, five Minor Prophets got into Matthew. But I, I only got as far as chapter 11 in Matthew. Now, I don't have so much questions about the Minor pro- Prophets because I know that the prophets are talking about, you know, what they're going to deal with in their time because of their rebellion and you know these minor prophets are telling the people you know that this is what God says but then in chapter 6 uh Jesus himself now i just realized that the timeline isn't like from age you know 1 or or 1 month to 33 years it skips like mm-hmm. i don't know how old he was when he first spoke to the disciples and all that, but that doesn't matter. But my question is this, uh, chapters 6 through 11, when he talks about, uh, he's talking about, he's teaching them about praying. Now, he says two different things on two different occasions. He says, number one, don't pray out loud like the Pharisees do on the streets. Now, like, of course, I was taught, you know, if you want God to hear you, you have to voice yourself <laughs> so i've done that i've done that my entire life I, I prayed not like shouted but i've yelled and so i'm like okay well what do i do and then the he also told them said do not pray the same thing over and over again because god knows what you need now am i to understand that as literal like figuratively like, don't say the same thing every single day. Have to say something uh, totally different. And uh, I had one more thing, but it slipped my mind, and I'll find it, and I will call you another day. I'll listen um, because my speaker broke again. <laughs> Thank you, Ruben. God bless you. Uh, God bless a, you. a couple of things. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, um, when Jesus is teaching Jews to pray, now remember, what Jews would do, and, and you can still see them at the Western Wall, where their hands are cupped and open. I love that. It's it's almost a posture of prayer, like they expect God to, to, to give them something. And so they're, they're rocking back and forth, and they're repeating over and over, endlessly, they're repeating the same prayers. Well, what he's talking about with, with not repeating prayers is don't pray without thought. Don't pray um, repetitiously, mindlessly, 
uh, as the leaders do. And he was being very, very um, uh, direct in, in his attack on the Jewish religious leaders. Um, he, he was simply saying, um, pray, but think about what you're praying for. Don't just go through the motions. Now, Reuben, as you know, we live in a Catholic community, largely a Catholic community. And Catholics repeat the same prayers over and over and over. They pray the Rosary and, and the, the Hail Marys and, and um, um, the Our Fathers. And, um, you know, those are just, there's no value in praying when all we're doing is repeating those things. And we're, we're, it's almost like, well, I'm going to do this a whole bunch of times and you have to answer me. That's not the case. Pray with your heart, but pray with your mind and make sense of your prayers. Now, when we talk about repetitious prayer, he also tells a parable about the persistent widow. And he says, the whole per- he defines that whole parable. He says, the purpose of this is so that you should never stop praying. Don't get tired and never stop praying. Um, for example, I pray some of the same things every single day, but I pray those things because I really want those things to happen. I'm, I'm sort of knocking on the door of heaven saying, okay, this prayer hasn't been answered yet, but I need you to pray. Paula prayed for me to get saved for 13 years. And she really wanted me to get saved. So the repetitious prayer, just make sure that the things you're praying for uh, and the things that are on your heart, don't give up on. If you've got people in your life that need to get saved, you never stop praying for them. If you've got a situation uh, financially, you've got a situation at work, if you can say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done, then you can keep praying for those things. But that's not a repetitious prayer. It's just a prayer that you repeat. And I think the difference on those things is clear. Relative to the first question about praying out loud, again, he is being critical of the Jewish religious leaders who would stop in the middle of the street and and make these loud, showy prayers, and and everybody would look and say, oh, see how spiritual they are. And and he says, no, don't pray like that. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so that's the whole idea. But he's not speaking about the volume of your prayers. Um, he's just saying, don't pray so that others can see you because you want to, to communicate this imagery of how spiritual you are. So when you're praying, you go ahead and pray. Um, and you can speak it out loud. You can pray inwardly to yourself. But but um, this isn't about your own volume. Um, we do not have to shout at God to get his heart. I've heard it taught in some crazy charismatic churches that uh, the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man avail us much, so fervent means to yell and to scream and to sweat, and it doesn't mean that at all. So it just means pray thoughtfully, pray with your whole heart, but when you pray, just do it sincerely, genuinely, and according to the will of God. Great questions, Ruben. Thank you very, very much. I'm glad your dad is doing well. Let's go to Cindy holding from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. Hi. You know what? I have one of those I wonder questions. Now, you had a question about uh, whether, I think it was whether we would have a language in heaven or not. But then my wheels started to spin in my head, and I was thinking about the millennium. Now, the millennium is going to be first people who have um, gone through the tribulation, so they'll be like normal human people, you know, going around. And then there'll be the, us who have been raptured, and then we go to the wedding feast, and we come back down in the millennium, and, and we live there, but our bodies are totally different. And so it led me to wonder 
if the if we're going to have different languages because we'll just have you know a bunch of humans running around still. So I don't know how to ask that to make it make sense. And the more I think about it, the more kind of off the wall I think the question is. But but I didn't want to hang up, so I thought I'd ask it anyways. I'm going Thanks, to listen Cindy. to you on the radio. Okay. okay, and we we only got three minutes, so I don't think it was a mindless question at all. I think it was it's interesting. I actually think about these things sometimes, Cindy. Um, yeah, there will be different languages, for sure, uh, in the millennium. Um, we who are raptured, we who are in our glorified, resurrected bodies, ruling and reigning with Jesus, obviously will be able to speak any language that people are speaking. But I also think that when the people come together in the millennium, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, I think a common language will begin to be worked out. And so I don't think there won't be any, any I don't think there'll be any difficulty at all in terms of being able to be understood. But yeah, there will be the people who are in their flesh and blood bodies who go through the Great Tribulation uh, will come from um, all over the world. Um, um, unfortunately, the, the overwhelming majority of people will be killed in the Great Tribulation. Uh, but those who survive will enter in uh, to the Millennial Kingdom and uh, will understand their languages and whether or not they will understand one another's language uh, that will happen over a period of time. But remember, for a thousand years, that's a very, very long time. For a thousand years, um, we're going to be able to work out what that understanding is. And during the millennium, it's going to be a great time. I mean, there's going to be some rebellion. There's going to be some judgment. Uh, it will be swift and it will be perfect and just. Um, but I think people will get the idea that being with Jesus is a pretty good thing. Uh, and they'll see the difference um, in in the earth before Jesus was ruling and reigning and after he was ruling and reigning. So whatever the language that we're going to speak, we'll understand it all, and the other people will just sort of have to assimilate, and I'm sure that will happen. Good question, Cindy. You know, when I think about the millennium, um, you know, we're just not given a bunch of details. What does ruling and reigning with Jesus mean? What are we going to do? Where are we going to do it? But here's the good thing for you and me, Cindy, because we're going to be in our glorified, resurrected physical bodies. We're going to be like Jesus. We'll be able to be anywhere we want in an instant. No airport lines, no travel arrangements. If we want to go hang out in Jerusalem and see Jesus on the throne of David, we're going to be able to be right there and be with him. And frankly, I can't wait for that. Especially as crazy as this world is, I can't wait for it. Hey, appreciate the phone calls this second half of the program. Thanks for tuning in. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. Ladies, that's your day. Whatever you need, Paula is here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. <music>